We are so glad you've joined us today for our Tuesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Castle Rock. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 21 here tonight. So from last week, um, we have seen David make his exodus from the house of Saul. Uh, we're now, now going to see over the next uh, 10 years, the next few chapters are about 10 years or 8 years worth of time, somewhere around there. Um, we're going to see uh, David's uh, wilderness experience, and we get to see a glimpse of it here in, in chapter 21. We get to see quite a bit of it, actually, right here in chapter 21, um, and so before David can get to the promise of reigning as king, he, he has to have his wilderness experience. And David's wilderness experience resembles a lot of Israel's wilderness experience in many ways. With Israel, we saw the, um, the nation of Israel being pursued by Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 14. Uh, David, we are going to see being pursued by Saul uh, ever since last chapter, all the way through uh, chapter 23. With Israel, we saw God provide manna in Exodus chapter 16. We're going to see here in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, the priest Ahimelech provide bread for David. Uh, in, with Israel, we saw them being opposed by the Edomites in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 21. Here we're going to see that Dog the Edomite is going to uh, oppose David. Uh, and we see that mostly in chapter 22 that we'll get to next week, Lord willing. Uh, it, with Israel, we saw the Ammonites and the Moabites, they don't give any bread or water to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 23. We're going to find out in 1 Samuel 25 that Nabal is not going to give bread or wine or water to uh, David and his men. And so there's a, a lot of similarities here of what's going on. I've also mentioned before that, um, that David and, uh, and Joseph uh, have a lot of similarities, that they had to go through a lot of trials and afflictions and things like that before they were raised to a place of prominence. And both these guys foreshadow the person of Jesus Christ, that like uh, Jesus, David, was opposed by the established rulers. Like Jesus, David gathered followers or disciples who formed the foundation of a new nation. And like Jesus, David was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so we see a lot of similarities there as well. So, after fleeing Saul's house, David now comes here to a place called Nob. And it's about three miles away from uh, Gibeah, where he was before with, with Saul. So he's about... Three miles away now, in verse 1, it says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? Um, Ahimelech is the priest here, uh, and he's at the place where a priest should be. He's there at the house of God, the tabernacle of the Lord. However, we need to understand something here, which I find very, very interesting. The Ark of the Covenant is not here. The Ark of the Covenant is not here. He's about to give him some showbread to take here in a, in a moment, and it says the showbread that was before the Lord, and it begs the question, how can it be before the Lord if the Ark of the Covenant, which speaks of God's presence, isn't there? 
And it almost makes it look like they're kind of just going through the motions, uh, is what it kind of seems to be right here. But the Ark of the Covenant is not here. And, and you might recall when we were in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, um, why don't you just kind of shoot over there a couple of uh, pages there to your left, 1 Samuel chapter 7. And this is um, after the Philistines had taken the Ark uh, of the Covenant, that they had captured it in battle. Uh, God brought down all sorts of uh, plagues upon them, and so they put the uh, Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and, and it goes back into the land of Israel. And so the people were really excited about the fact that the Ark of the Lord has returned after being away for about seven months, I believe it is. And so as it comes back to Beth Shemesh, uh, God causes a great uh, plague to happen to them because they remove the, uh, the lid to the Ark of the Covenant and it was a whole that Indiana Jones kind of thing that kind of happened there where you know, 50,000 people got killed and things like that. And so it says in verse 20 of uh, chapter 6, it says, And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? And so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. It makes you wonder if the men of Kirjath-Jerim knew what happened. <laughs> you know, and, and they're just trying to get it out of town. And so it says here in verse 1, Then the men of Kirjath Jerem came, took the ark of the Lord, brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath Jerem a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord. Serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. I want you to go to Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. In chapter 6 of Second of, uh, Samuel, it says this, Now David is king. And it says, and again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. David went, arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, there in Kirjath-Jerim. So this whole time it's been at Kirjath-Jerim, okay? It's not in Nob where the tabernacle is. It has always been there in the house of Abinadab. Now, you might recall that we were looking at this and going, well, this doesn't seem to make sense because it says here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7 that the, um, that the ark remained at Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. We know that Saul reigned for 40 years. David has now been reigning for seven years at this point. You know, that's 47 years right there. And there... It, here in, in Samuel uh, 7, 2, it says it remained there for 20 years. What's going on there? Well, you might recall when we were uh, at that place a few months ago that when it says there that the ark remained in kirjath Jerem a long time, it was there 20 years, it is setting up verse 3, meaning it was there a long time and had been there for 20 years by the time Samuel speaks here in verse 3, saying to the house of Israel, so 20 years have gone by between verses 2 and verses 
3. Now, at the end of chapter 7, there's probably another 10 or 20 years that go by. And so by the time the Ark of the Covenant is actually brought there into Jerusalem, we're talking probably close to 90, 97, almost 100 years. And so I just want to uh, reemphasize that because as we're here in chapter 21, the priest here, Ahimelech, there at Nob, and even though he is doing the things a priest is supposed to do in the tabernacle, God's presence isn't there in the tabernacle. It's not there in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant is still in Kirjath-Jerim at the house of Abinadab. And so, and so as we continue on here, I just want you to, again, just be able to see that. And so, again, Ahimelech wants to know why David is by himself, going back here to 1 Samuel 21, knowing that David was uh, um, the armor bearer. He is the uh, commander of the royal bodyguard. Uh, and, uh, and so he thinks it's very unusual for David to be alone, which it would have been. He would have always had an entourage wherever he went. Um, he would have always had soldiers with him. And so in verse 2, it says, So David says to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business. And he said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business of which I send you or what I have commanded you. I have directed my young men to, to such and such a place. So, David lies. He tells Ahimelech that he's on a secret mission for the king, and I have men waiting for me at a rendezvous spot somewhere. And so in verse 3 it says, Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. So David asked for five loaves of bread, whatever could be spared. And verse 4 it says, And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So, Ahimelech's asking him and just saying, Okay, here's the deal. The deal is, being a priest, um, I can make these kinds of decisions. I have the authority to interpret if this is a life and death situation, if you guys are so hungry that, uh, that, that you can't go another day or something like that, that I am beholding to be able to help you out. But if you're going to partake and eat of the Levitical priesthood's bread, then you have to be cleansed like a Levite. And he, and he quotes from Leviticus 15, uh, verses 16 through 18 that talks about that in, if, you have, um, if you've had sex with your wife, that you uh, need to uh, take a bath and, and, be, and wait until the evening, and then you're cleansed, and then you're holy before God again. And so David tells him and says, you know what, we've been away from our wives for three days, uh, so we're good, we're good, you know. And so he looks at that, and he goes on, and he says this, so the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day that it was taken. Um, the tabernacle of the Lord. When you go into this tented structure, you have the holy place and then you have the holy of holies, which is behind the veil that separates the two compartments inside this tented structure. When you first walk into uh, the holy place, you have the table of showbread that would be on your right. 
right in front of you, you have the altar of incense, which is right before uh, the, the veil there, before you go into where the Holy of Holies is, where the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be. And then to your left, as you enter in, there is the lampstand, is right there. And so uh, the table of showbread is going to have, is a table that's going to have 12 loaves of bread on it. It symbolizes fellowship with Israel. Each loaf of bread represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, when you sit down at a table, it speaks, again, of that intimacy of fellowship that they have with the Lord. And so it goes on and it says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and the name was Dog, the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So... Um, the priest Ahimelech is, is letting him know and says, hey, we just only have the showbread here for you, uh, but we'll go ahead and, and take that and give it to you. So long as you tell me that you're cleansed, you're cleansed, and uh, I'll go ahead and give that to you. It happens to be the day, the Sabbath, that they are replacing that with the hot bread right now anyway. And as, they're, as he's doing that, as he's speaking, all of a sudden David notices this Edomite here, this guy named Dog. And, uh, and, and the question, what begs the question is, where does this guy come from? Why is he even in the land of Israel? And why is he a servant of Saul? Now, the thought behind this is, the understanding we have here is that he's probably somewhat a prisoner of war. Um, if you just go back here to 1 Samuel chapter 14, where you know from chapter 15, that Saul isn't the most um, uh, obedient when he's supposed to kill everybody. He has a tendency to bring people back, even though the Lord tells him not to. Uh, and so here in chapter uh, 14, verse 47, we get the, the campaign that Saul went on that probably took uh, a dozen years to complete, but he was really the people's champion. Before David came around, he was actually the guy that went out in battle and led them to victory. And look what it says here. It says in verse 47, So Saul established the sovereignty over Israel, fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against Ammon, against Edom, and it goes down and it, and it names uh, many more. And so... Dog here probably came from some sort of battle that he was fighting with the Edomites, and he probably kept some of them to be his own personal slaves. And so that's what the thought that we have going with this guy. And the fact that we will find out next week, again, Lord willing, in chapter 22, he's, uh, he's very quick to accommodate Saul in spying for him and trying to help him out, probably to gain favor in his sight for possibly his own release or something like that. But he's going to be brought to this area of Nob. And then uh, Saul is going to ask his men to kill all the priests here, and they won't do it. So he goes to uh, Dog the Enemite, and he asks him to do it, and he has no problem doing it, which tells me he's not a proselyte. He's not somebody who has come to worship the Jewish God because everybody else is afraid to touch the priests of God but Dog here is not, which tells us that he is not a believer in, 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 in the Lord. He's not a believer of Israel's God. He's very quick to want to kill these priests, probably, to, again, to gain favor in Saul's eyes, to maybe then he can request possibly to be let go or something like that. So, but we do know that he, is a, uh, um, he becomes a spy for Saul uh, later on. And so here in verse 8, it says, And David said to Ahimelech, 
Is there not here on hand spear or sword? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. If you look from uh, chapter 19 on, that David, as soon as he was let outside the window of his house by Michael, uh, he's been fleeing ever since. And obviously he didn't have enough to take any sort of armor or weaponry or anything like that with him. And so he has nothing. He has nothing. And so it says, So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, there's none like it, give it to me. So again, he had no food, he had no weaponry whatsoever. Um, why it is there at uh, in Nob is probably because it was such a great victory. And like I said, Nob is only about three miles from Gibeah. If that's where the tabernacle was at that place, then they're probably bringing it there. Just like um, in that culture, if your God defeated another god, then you would take what represents that god and place it before your god. And so that big sword there represents Goliath, and it was basically saying that our god defeated Goliath. And so it's there in the area of Nob. And so he reclaims it without hesitation. Now there's something I find very interesting here that was brought to my attention as I was studying this is that um, the word hand is used like five times in this chapter, um, or four times in this chapter. Uh, it's used in verse 3 twice, it's used in verse 4, and then it's spoken of again here in verse 8. Uh, and I find this a little bit, uh, well not a little bit, I find it very, very fascinating. There's an emphasis on the hand here. Uh, it, it says in verse 3, what have you on hand? Uh, Give me five loaves into my hand. Verse 4, there's no common bread on hand. And then here in verse 8, we have David asking for a spirit or sword. Is there any on hand, a spear or sword? The hand um, speaking here is very, very interesting. When priests were ordained, there would be a filling of their hands. There would be a filling of their hands. During their, this ritual, there's a little, literal filling of the hands. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 29. This is when the priests are first consecrated, Aaron and his sons. And we're going to see things being put into their hands. It would be a sign to them once they're through this that they could now be, they were ordained as a priest. They could now do the sacrifices and also eat from the sacrificial meat and breads and things like that. But here in Exodus chapter 29, verse 19, it says this. It says, You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ear of the sons, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar." The whole thing of, uh, of sprinkling of the blood and all that is to set it apart. It is now holy uh, unto the Lord. And so the whole taking the blood and putting it on the right ear and then on the, the right thumb and then on the right big toe was a, a way for God to be able to show them that these people here, these priests have been set apart for the Lord's service. And so they should hear differently 
hence the putting of the the, uh, blood on the right ear. You should hear differently. You should now hear from the Lord. You should now have, uh, have a work ethic that is different. You're now working for the Lord. And you should have a walk that is different. It is a walk for the Lord. And, when, and, and just hearing that and seeing it right here, you could see that, well, you know what? This is a lot like we as believers are today. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been set apart. You now hear the Lord. Hear what the Spirit has to say is said time and time again in God's word. And so we are being called to listen to God, not to the world. When it comes to working, we work as unto the Lord, the Bible says. And that we're supposed to walk with God and people should see a difference. They should see a difference. And so he goes on and says in Exodus twenty nine twenty one says, and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar... Some of the anointing oil, sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons and his garments, on his sons with him. He and his garments shall be hallowed, his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also, you should take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, the fat on them, the right thigh, and one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you should put all these where? In the hands of Aaron, and in the hands of his sons. You shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and then burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. If you go over just to Leviticus here real quick. Leviticus chapter 8. Just the next book over. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 25. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of the unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread, anointed with oil, one wafer, and put them on the fat on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands Burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. They were consecrated offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the thought here is this word coming up time and time again. And the phrase that's you, do you have something to put in my hands? Is that a lot of scholars will tell you that what is taking place here, it suggests something out of the ordinary and it suggests some sort of ordination is taking place here. When Saul attended the feast where Samuel anointed him in 1 Samuel 9 through chapter 10, he received the priestly portion of the sacrifice, one of the signs that confirmed that this kingly appointment was the gift of bread. So not only is he taking the priest's portion, but one of the other signs is that he's going to be given bread. And he was. And so something very similar here is happening at Nob by the priest Ahimelech. He fills David's hands with bread, a sign that the kingdom was shifting to him. And I find this very interesting because David is thinking, it's not shifting to him. I know I've been promised this by God. I know that Samuel even anointed me. But this kingdom that's supposed to be given to me is crumbling in my hands. 
everything is falling apart. Everything I see says not kingship. Death is but a step away from me. I find this interesting because when you don't believe the promises of God, it's because you start to believe what you now see. You're not walking by faith. You're now walking by sight. And when you walk by sight, it's going to scare the living daylights out of you. And when you start walking by sight and you start walking by fear, you're going to end up in a very, very bad place. That's it for another edition of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. If you've missed any of these teachings and would like to catch up, you can download our free mobile app. It's a great way to take any of Pastor Dave's teachings with you wherever you go. All you have to do is go to the Apple App Store or Google Play and search for Calvary Castle Rock. Once you've installed the app, open it up and click on Teachings, and then go to On the Radio. There you can listen to today's segment or any of the previous segments by broadcast date. You can also subscribe to our radio audio podcast. If you want to learn more about our ministry, please go to our website at calvarycr.com. That's calvarycr.com. As always, thanks again for listening in today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.